I'm not really sure what you're talking about. Me neither. Video Land. It's another episode of our fine, fine program, uh, uh, brought to your you by your super very good friends at IMVDB, the Internet Music Video Database. My name is Adam Fairholm, one of the co-founders of IMVDB. I realize I've just been saying my name, expecting people to know who I am, and uh, which is wrong. Uh, and then from beautiful center of the world, soon to be New York, but currently Boynton Beach, Florida, we have Douglas T. Klinger. How are you, Doug? Uh, super good. I, I don't know what that fake middle initial is, but I'll I'll roll with it. Um, how are you, Adam? Well, Doug, I'm uh, extra super good this time because we have an awesome person on the podcast. I think that, that always gets me in a in a better than normal mood. You know, Doug, when we're offline, I'm always uh, and this is true, cursing and swearing and and saying how everything sucks, punching, but, punching things, right? Punching things. I have one of those. Uh, remember those stress balls from the '90s? I still have one of those. And right. um, not in good shape, but no, it's very old. It says uh, Ghostbusters on it. But uh, <laughs> today we have. This is where's the beef? <laughs> today we have on the podcast Mr. Timothy Sassenti, who is an awesome director who you may have read an interview of with before because Doug interviewed uh, Timothy for his two videos he did for LP. The Full Retard and Stay Down, which are two really fantastic videos. Um, the Full Retard is my favorite, extremely hilarious. He also has done a, a video for MNDR, Cut Me Out, uh, Little Secrets for Passion Pit, um, as well as uh, a, a few other videos such as Longevity by Yesayer. But uh, Timothy, besides music videos, has a really strong, uh, strong as an understatement, portfolio in doing... Uh, Things like album artwork, uh, photography, especially, and is even uh, knows a lot about the worlds of even fashion photography and uh, and all sorts of other things in the visual arts besides music videos. So this is a really interesting uh, interview. Strong and strong and extensive is what you're trying to say. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I'm... Strong and extensive. Um, and and yeah, one of the things that you you may remember from that um, interview, if you read it, um, with about uh, the LP videos is that Timothy was actually uh, a big part of kind of the whole process of promoting LP's album from the album artwork to the promo videos to the music videos to kind of what would be the um, kind of feel of the live tour. Um, you know, he was kind of part of the promotion of the album from beginning to end. And I think that um, that's really unique. You know, a lot of times music video directors are through the music video is responsible a lot of times for a big part of promoting the album. Um, but sometimes you're only getting that sliver, but uh, Timothy was given the opportunity to kind of be a part of the whole process. And I think it was really effective because of that. That's right. And our interview with, uh, and for other videos as well, for the company at MNDR, he was actually working on the lighting design uh, for the show. So Timothy has his hands in a lot of different things. Uh, he was really fun to talk to. So the interview is coming up in the second half of this very podcast right here. Um, but before that, Doug, I have, I have a question for you. You mentioned albums, and I, this is an important question. Is Do you still believe in, in, in the album as, a, as, a, as an entity? I, I do very much so. I do very much so. And I think that um, this year, more than ever, that's that's starting to come maybe swing back around, especially like in hip-hop with the Kendrick Lamar, Good Kid, Mad City album. I think that um, that, type of an, that type of an album where somebody can kind of listen to it start to finish, even despite, you know, the 15 skits that are also on that album. You know, he, it's very traditional in that sense, and people still embrace the entire project. So I do think albums um, are, are still important, and I, I think they're becoming more important than maybe they were a few years ago. Because that's a that's an important question. I, I think 
and I agree with you. I, I still believe in the album. A few years ago when, you know, even when we were in high school or in middle school and things like that, when Napster was coming out, one of the first things people said besides this is the death of the music industry is this is the death of the album as an art form. And when you could download single songs off of iTunes, they said this is also the, the death of the album. I, th- I think we, we all know about but don't remember it, and we know about it as a as like a concept where you would get an al- buy an album in a in a vinyl record and there was really no easy way to skip to a certain song you kind of listen to it the front side and the back side so p- people i think for a long time were like oh the albums are going to go away we're going to be we're going to be kind of just stuck with loose collections of singles in a way for better or for worse yeah, definitely. And you know what? It's interesting. Another thing um, that I think have, is starting to reemerge and um, it's kind of it combines the two is a lot more EPs these days. And so like a new artist will come out with an EP, maybe even two. And those EPs will be like different styles than one another. And the artist will be kind of like testing out their styles and, and their approach. But it'll be in a in a package of more than just one song, um, typically. And so um even EPs, I think, are swinging back around these days. You, they just remind me of something. And we're, we're, we wanted to talk about music videos and albums. But we're getting off a little bit off track here, but I think this is important, is to bring up one of, the, I think, one of the most egregious things that have happened in the last few years, and that is the the re, album re-release. Doug, are you are you familiar with the album re-release? I'm definitely familiar with the album re-release. Now, are you, you know, there's a few the few ways of an album re-release. Are you talking like specifically of a, an album that's pretty recent and it has a re-release with a few new songs on it? Or are you talking about like the a 25th anniversary remastered album re-release? I'm fine with the 25th anniversary remastered albums because a lot of times, well, for things like the Beatles, it's a little bit controversial because they're, they're that's a whole different argument about. Um, you know the purity of you know the mixes and things like that as told by you know the machines and things that recorded it but you know i'm talking about i think there's a few different kinds you're right one of them is like the uh i think one of them is harmless like for a good example of the kind of the harmless kind is um bare naked ladies had an album in canada gordon that was their first album in 1992 i think and the cover of it is like really goofy you know they used to be look be kind of like really goofy looking nerdy guys when they released this album when they were like you know i think 19 and 20 years old around that age it's a really ugly album cover and then in around 1998 when you know stunt was out and and they were a really popular band they uh re-released gordon with a new uh you know, more classy looking album cover and put that in stores, especially in American stores. So it was, you know, it wasn't a remaster, it wasn't a re-release, it was just kind of like a repackaging. What's happening now, and I think the first album in my memory that really did it this way is uh, an artist will have an album come out and then it will get very popular. And then what they'll do is to kind of cash in on that popularity, maybe like nine or 10 months after, you know, the album initially came out is to re-release it with more songs. So Lady Gaga, her first album, which I believe was self-titled, uh, was re-released with, you know, when it originally came out in, you know, uh, what was the first song? Uh, Just Dance hit, you know, hit the radio, Alejandro and, um, uh, Poker Face. No, Poker Face was on it. Um, what was that other one? Mm, Bad know. Romance was not on that album. They later repackaged it and re-released it. Um, Fame, that was the name of the album, sorry. I did a really shitty job explaining that. But <laughs> that, but but now we have things like um, uh, Nicki Minaj's album, Roman Reloaded, the re-up, which sounds like it's been re-released two times, but I think Roman Reloaded is that is the, just the name of the album it just sounds yeah it's, it's it's all completely yeah original songs and stuff um um another thing that happens kind of in that case like when a band or an artist will get popular and this can kind of bring it back to music videos and a little bit to our interview as well um ties to our interview as well a lot of times you know an artist will maybe kind of put out an ep that includes a song that would work as a single and they'll have a music video for that song. And then that single really gets popular and they include that as part of an album. But then when that album comes out, they also shoot a new music video for that single 
and uh, you know there it ends there ends up being kind of two music videos floating out there, one from their previous time and one from their newer time, and and um, you know kind of like the Bare Naked Ladies when they redid their album artwork and that kind of thing. The same thing kind of happens with music videos and you know kind of upping the ante with the same song with a new budget to kind of reach that broader audience. And I think in the case of uh, Nicki Minaj's first uh, our second album pink or first album pink friday i forget that she was already pretty popular before she even came out with her an album i think um uh pink friday was released in 2010 i think uh super bass was actually not a um it was like a bonus track or something like that and then they made a music video for it over the summer of i think 2011 uh and it uh, became really popular and then they re-released Pink Friday with that as one of the major tracks, um, so they can kind of play with the 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 album structure. Doug, I have a trivia question for you, and I was wondering. I, I don't know if there's actual data on this for music videos, but do you know what album has the most songs released as singles on just that one single album? Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna guess it's gonna be something like Thriller or something or Bad. You're cl- it was Bad. You're right. Um, nine singles released. Yeah, and every single one of those uh, singles had videos made for them. Bad is a good example of a an album where the actual artwork is very similar to the music video for Bad. You look at the um, you know, he's got the leather jacket on. The uh, I think that's pretty much the same thing he wears in the bad music video. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we see continued to this day, you know, like Lana Del Rey, or when, especially when singles are released. Um, a lot of times there will be the artwork for that album or that single is taken from the music video, like the recent single for Ride by Lana Del Rey has the, um, you know, she's swinging on a tire in the music video, tire swing in the music video, and then the cover of the single is, is a tire. Yeah, and I think I guess the 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 point that we're both kind of making is that clearly, um, you know, music videos, for especially for the artists, you know, a major in, in, intention of those music videos is to promote their album. You know, even though there is, you know, songs get released that aren't part of albums, and sometimes music videos get made for songs that don't end up on albums. Most of the times, music videos are made to promote an album, and I think, um, you know, because of that, as a music video database, I, I think we need to react to that and, and do something, um, in in because of that. Do you agree? I already did something because of that. Oh, what'd you do, <laughs> Doug? You know about it. Don't don't play don't play dumb. Okay, fine. I do know about it, but we should talk about it. We should talk about it. Yeah, because we one of the features we we're, we're working on is uh, album pages and i'm not calling them album pages we're actually calling them release pages because as you know doug a lot of times um uh and uh, like a video will come out for something on like a mixtape and i you know i don't, I don't think a mixtape is we're kind of mixing you know semantics here but uh mixtape i don't think that is technically considered an album um, but album pages are basically uh pages where you can check out an album and see what tracks off that album were made into music videos, which I think is is really useful. So, for instance, we'll link it in the show notes. And this is actually live on the site right now as we're building mm-hmm. it because we just kind of put out a really basic early beta version of it. And uh, one good example is uh, Loud by Rihanna. Uh, and you can see that uh, there are six videos made for that album. And uh, the first through th- one through three, and then five through seven tracks. Um, and this also ties into my longstanding theory of uh, the how albums are put together in different shapes of albums. But that's a whole different mm. uh, podcast. But then right yep. below, you can see all the um, videos that were made for a certain album. And so- another thing that you might find when when looking at an artist's music videos based on their albums. Is that you will find some similarities, like you know, oftentimes they'll work with the same director on all of those videos, or you know, for for three of the six, for example, will all be with the same director. Um, you Anthony know, because learn in the case of Rihanna Loud, right, right, and so that you know, I think that there's a reason behind that, and I think that we've talked about it in a few podcasts before. Um, you know, and that's because 
you know, they're trying to get the same themes across in those music videos. So they've already kind of gotten on those pages with that director already. So, you know, it, it just makes sense to kind of continue working with them for the other songs on that same album. Yeah, I think, um, you know, like we said, we both believe in the album. So I think they're entities that music videos are built around. And, you know, especially in the case of another trivia question, Doug, who was the artist that matched uh, Michael Jackson bad for the n- number the number of uh, number one singles from an album most number one singles from an album. Katy Perry. It was Katy Perry. You're right with Teenage Dream just a few year, one or two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really good example of um, an an album that kind of built up a really strong uh, ca- canon of images for her to use in that era. If you work, if you watch the Katy Perry documentary about that tour, she uses a lot of the images from her, from her, uh, music videos to reinforce the live show. So she's wearing like outfits from the music videos. The whole set is inspired by the whole Candyland theme of the, um, uh, California Girls video. So that's it, something where you know the imagery of the music video was really closely tied into the whole promotion and imagery for the entire album and the entire tour. And obviously that was a very successful album, so something must have worked. So it's right. really interesting to see at a glance, you know, the, the screenshots of all the um, videos for just for that one album. Yeah, personally, um, I prefer using the example of Timothy and LP because um, the common thread is through um, a, uh, a hooker addicted squirrel puppet named Mr. Killums. So I prefer to, to use that as the shining example. Um, but you can go with Katy Perry. You know, now that I think of it, you know, anything with Mr. Killums is better with anything without Mr. Killums. So true. Um, which I guess leads us into our interview, Doug. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good segue. Solid segue us. Oh, man. I, I give that segue 8 out of 10. Um, but it's time for our interview with Mr. Timothy Sassenti, who, as I mentioned before at the top of the podcast, director, um, photographer, artist, all of those things. He has his hands in a lot of different mediums um, and does a lot of really amazing things in those different mediums. Definitely check out his website, which we have linked to in the show notes, as well as his page on IMVDB to get a full picture of what Timothy is has worked on and uh, and his art. Uh, and if you want to see the video with two videos with Mr. Killums, um, they're also linked in the show notes. That is the full retard and stay down by LP. Um, so definitely check those videos out. Definitely check out Cut Me Up by MNDR and uh, Little Secrets by Passion Pit. Those are other two videos that we talk about. And uh, please sit back, relax with a nice, maybe a nice cognac or a nice, um, you know, rye whiskey. And uh, listen to our interview with Mr. Timothy Sassenti. I'm a director and photographer living in New York City. I work mainly in music videos, uh, fine art, and music photography. And yeah, that's me. And you know, you work in a lot of different mediums, like you mentioned, photography, uh, fine art, and where where did music videos come into that whole? Um, that whole process was it something you started off doing? Was it something you got into after you were doing photography? How did that How did that work? That's a good question. Uh, I actually have, was a trained photographer. I was going to say trained monkey, so I kind of <laughs> the same thing. Uh, I went to school for photography in New York City and worked for um, some years assisting some really amazing fashion photographers, uh, which is the world I really enjoyed being in, at least visually. Uh, with fashion, you could have, go into fantasy realms and abstraction a bit more and um, really do com- visually interesting stuff compared to a lot of uh, other aspects of photography, like portraiture and whatnot. But I, I didn't really enjoy the world of fashion day to day as much as I hoped I would. And I really enjoyed the music world because uh, just what got me into photography was just being in this, being from the suburbs and listening to music and the music really transporting you into this 
this other world away from the mundanity or or uh, day-to-day life that you have, especially living in the in the suburbs, I think. And uh, that that feeling of transporting out of the out of the physical realm into this sort of sort of archetype world of dreams that music did was something I was really attracted to. And though I will have no real talent as a musician, uh, I was attracted to photography right away, mainly because of its ability to distort reality more so than capturing it. And I felt like I could I could take the inspiration from music in its abstract way it made you feel and apply that to visual art. So once I went into the world of photography, uh, I was always drawn back again to music and I've always been obsessed with music and uh, it's always been a very, very important part of my life. So eventually it's always good to, I think, you know, you can't fake your passion for something. So being passionate about music and passionate about photography led me to uh, doing music photography for the most part. It's also a world that you can actually push the reality limits uh, more so than other other aspects. And because music photography is sometimes a little more under the radar than, say, advertising photography or something like that, you can get away with more experimental work. And so I spent a long time, uh, maybe four or five years, being a music photographer, also working in some advertising and fashion, but always going back to music, uh, mainly because, also because it, it, you actually have a really good base to work from as far as emotional, an, an emotional idea to work from. For me, that worked really well. Uh, it could be really tricky because very often musicians don't want your picture taken. You don't have like the interest of the clothing from more avant-garde fashion pieces or or whatever, but it was something I felt like I could relate to the subjects on. We could have conversations about music, and I could be making these images along the way that, that for the most part, they approved of. And being from the world that, of the music that I was into at the time, which was uh, very much faceless, electronic-type music, uh, where there was... It was almost they were very much anti-photography and anti-image, and was definitely a reaction against the idea of like having your picture in Rolling Stone and things like that. Uh, it allowed me to be more abstract because that was matched their aesthetic, and I understood these artists' aesthetic. I think being from there probably more than say a fashion photographer would. So from gaining the trust of many of these artists, they started asking me to do videos, and I knew nothing about videos, so. Um, but I had a, ideas about them, but this was still when the barrier to entry for video was quite high. Uh, you still had to shoot film, uh, and you just to even get behind a camera or understand how an offline had it worked or something was, that took me a few years to figure that out from bothering all my director friends. Uh, and then I did a video, a packaging for a band called Battles, and we had this idea that we were going to build this cube, and they, they wanted to do something with mirrors and I had been testing these like two-way mirror boxes which is uh, an old fine art trope but thought I'd never seen it actually done in motion and so they said okay we'll throw a few extra thousand dollars in and do shoot a video at the same time almost offhandedly because at this point it was a little bit of a low for low point for videos YouTube hadn't really super taken over their blogs weren't everywhere and people weren't really looking at videos as much as, say, they are now, which they're ubiquitous. Every track has a video. Uh, so created this video, and I had an amazing team on it. And um, it was amazing because we shot with the uh, the first, it was the RD21, I believe, which is the precursor to the, to the Alexa. Um, so it looked amazing. And that was really my introduction to it. It was basically like not quite knowing what I'm doing, visually having a, really good idea, but having an amazing team around me, I worked with it first time right off the bat working with this amazing DP, Ivan Abel, who I still work with, uh, who was very open to be, be making it a collaborative visual affair rather than feeling that any intimidation or, or there, there, was no, there was no conflict because if I had a visual idea, he would apply it and back and forth. It worked quite well. And the editor, Ryan McKenna, who I still work with, who now is a pretty big editor himself, uh, you know, just constantly discussing how we can translate this song into a visual 
how to make it last for the duration of the piece and all these things that you never think about when they're still photographer and you're learning about how time works. And so that's how you're, because um, you mentioned you were talking to some of your other director friends and stuff, you know, prior to directing that, that first Battles video. Was there, um, was that the type of, you know, questions that you were asking them more about, like, the the concept on how the, the video itself was going to work, or were there, there technical questions uh, that you were asking well, them as well? Well, um, I think things were quite different then, even though this was just a few years ago, because it was very difficult to get information about how anything worked. And the lexicon that's used to describe how things work, if you don't understand, if you don't understand what an offline is or a telecine is, or like, uh, I think that can be really off-putting and you can can be quite intimidating. Um, so I would often just annoy my friends who are directors about what does this mean? What does that mean? Uh, so it was more, I think it was more technical. How do you get it in the, how do you, how do you get it into the computer? How do you get it out? Things like that. Uh, because at the time I was already studying film on my own as far as reading every editing book I could get. A lot of the Tarkovsky books and the, uh, Blink, the uh, the uh, Walter Murch book, and anything that I can get my hands on to understand how to how the concept of time works, because really it, it is a huge jump to go from shooting one frame and making it perfect to having to shoot you know 24 frames just to fill one second. It, that that is a quite a big jump. So it was more, I think my intuition was already there as far as what I wanted to do with it, but it was things like I had friends who were great directors, but not necessarily have the best eye for lighting or didn't technically understand the lighting. Maybe they were more dialogue directors. So I would come and work with them and do lighting for their sets, and we would work on little pieces together. And over the course of a year or so of doing that, understood the process of how do you get from a concept to it actually existing, to editing it, to it being cut to audio, to it being out. And then from there, I tried to figure out what was actually good or bad. And, and the, the seduction of that, the seduction of cutting something to music is very immediate and it feels like everything you're doing at first is is very important because and, and works because each piece on its own cut to audio, it, it just works right away. It looks really beautiful. But then when you put them all together, maybe it doesn't work. So trying to figure that out is, is the next big jump. And were some of the challenges, you, you mentioned challenges like, you know, photographing people who maybe didn't want to be photographed or, or, or you know, the challenges of still photography, did, did those translate over to music videos or, or, or was it just a well, whole say, new challenge? Yeah. I would say for me what translated the best, what translated immediately was in the photography world, it's not often collaborative depending on how the person operates. And my style of working had always been very collaborative. Working with uh, amazing stylist, set designers, art directors, and people like that. That was something I was very comfortable with. So jumping into motion, the collaborative aspect, uh, it really clicked for me. I really fell in love with motion, mainly because of that, I think. You have all these people in a room, and you're all trying to work towards one goal, and everyone's trying to do their job, and it's very delineated who's in charge of what section of it. And when you're the photographer, very often you're meant to be in charge of everything from art direction to having the eye about the clothes and eye about the makeup and uh, to, to, to move to the motion world and there being people whose whole job was to make sure that this section looked right was actually something I was very attracted to and felt really comfortable with because my style was, was working in that world. Now, I think what translated quickly for me as far as what I was really excited about was working with these artists, electronic artists, et cetera, who were not very much into having their like heroic portrait taken. Um, I would try and lean towards things a bit more abstract, but when you're doing something that is one frame that has to work for a magazine or album cover, you are limited in how much abstraction you can use because it doesn't tell the story that you need for to get across to the viewer. And for me, my work, when I was first starting photography, it was all quite experimental. It was uh, Kirlian photography, which is electromagnetic, and uh, a lot of experimental darkroom techniques and things of that nature, rather than straight portraits. So what, what translated well 
moving into motion was the ability to film all of these abstract elements, which to me were much more in line with what a song sounded like. A rhythm sounds like, you know, maybe a circle exploding, and then this melody sounds like a purple piece of ice or something. All those things were in my mind, and I couldn't get them out. So um, going from these, working with these abstract artists doing portraits, and then moving into motion pieces, it was actually a huge relief to be able to film things more abstractly. And I think one of the videos that I think uh, is in line with what you're talking about is the MNDR Cut Me Out video, um, yeah. which definitely has a lot of really abstract, interesting uh, visuals in it. And I was wondering, I read that it was, you know, those visuals came from a modified uh, Kinect for Xbox, which if anybody doesn't know is a peripheral that captures motion. And I was wondering for the nerds out there, um, you know, I, I've always wondered when you're working with something like that, that's like a consumer piece of technology and you're adapting it for a music video. How does that work exactly technically? What are you guys doing there with it? Uh, well, that was a collaboration with uh, Ivan Safran, who is a coder and visual artist himself. Uh, we work on a lot of projects together, and when when say sometimes if I if we feel like oh we want a visual element to project onto something, uh, we might work with Ivan to take the track itself in the waveform and run it through some of his custom codes that he creates to create visual elements for us that will then reproject or something like that. So we we have a lot of back and forth working with him, um, and he had been hacking the connects and I had been working with Mander on concepts for this video, MNDR. And the idea was that like she was breaking down in the video and that's what, in the end she's cutting her face off, but I also wanted this sort of breakdown of reality kind of feel. And the connect seemed to the look of it seemed to really work for that. Uh well we it was unusual in that we went into the studio with no camera for those sections and just pointed connects at her and had her perform. Uh, and then would take all of that footage, up-res it to HD, which is actually one of the more complicated parts of that because it doesn't have to be as interesting as it is to have such a low-res, low-fi motion capture system. It's not something that necessarily has a huge amount of data points that it's capturing. So Ivan had to then take that increased data point amount and up-res it to HD, and then we would take that information and run it through his coding process, which is a little bit like processing or a software like that, but a custom piece that he had designed. And what we're thinking, you know, we're actually breaking some kind of law, I think, by hacking a connect, <laughs> right? So the video came out, and then a couple of weeks later, I actually got a call from Microsoft. Really? Which I was terrified about. <laughs> uh, asking if they could use the... Uh, the video and a piece that they had, and they were they were embracing the subculture of people doing these hacks and all that. So that was that was quite interesting. But it, it goes back to like you're saying, like the abstract or experimental part of doing these music videos, which is the fun part for me, is getting in there and like trying to do something that you haven't done before, or something. It might not be something that no one's done before, um, but something that you find is appropriate to the song and interesting and personally haven't done before. So you can explore and learn about it and try and push it in some other direction. And I think coming from a different background, not directing all the time, um, coming from, but being a visual background, I can, I have kind of a little more leeway with myself as far as what we can try to do because I don't have any real parameters. Set. And, and how does a collaboration compare when, you know, when you're collaborating with a, you know, with a, a coder or a visual artist, like, and, uh, you know, how does that compare to a collaboration than with a, you know, with a musical artist? <clears throat> well, um, when we're collaborating with the visual artists, well, basically my job in those situations as the director is trying to like, trying to create an environment where the collaborator and myself, we can go back and forth until we get to something that we find interesting without there being uh, intervention too much from the label or client or something like that. Um, in that way, there's, it's a little bit combative against who we're working for, depending on who the client is, because we're trying to break new boundaries. And when you are working 
with clients, they want to kind of have everything spelled out exactly how it's going to be beforehand, which is impossible for something like this. Um, but I would say the difference between working with the artist, well, the artist, in, at least in a traditional music video manner, the track is done. They're not going to necessarily go back and re-edit the track based on what you created, although it does sometimes happen. Um, I think I think that the, the, the dynamic you have with a collaborator visually is that you're creating something from nothing, from scratch, whereas the when you so there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of exploration. And when you're collaborating with the musical artist, uh, they have it's like you're trying to like take their baby and like dress it up in like some weird outfit they don't like or something sometimes you're just you're taking something that for them is very precious and for me this is that's something i think from spending so much time with the artist i can gain their trust hopefully and be be respectful of that like they have this song that they spent all this time and love and it's taken on a meaning for them and then you're going to define the visual aspect of it that's going to exist forever it's, it's a bit nerve-wracking I think it's a bit, I think for a lot of younger artists, especially because they have a whole visual idea about maybe what it's going to be, that it's, uh, it's a bit, it's a bit tense. You know, very often the, the artist really has to be on board for the idea. And I think we spend the way I work generally is almost all the videos that actually get finished and shot have some real collaborative element with the artist in it. Say like this video we've done for, we were talking about one of the more recent ones with LP for the, the full repart video. If he wasn't, if he didn't have this, believe in this idea about like a coked up squirrel having sex with hookers, there was no way that was going to exist. <laughs> yeah. So, it's not something you go so, reluctantly with. I, yeah. So I think, I think with the, when you're collaborating with your visual partners, it's more exploratory and just really open to everything. And then that's what happens between you and the visual artist. And then I take that back and try and try and sell it to the audio artist, basically, when that dynamic works. So I'm kind of like steering this ship with, with on one hand, it's being powered by the powered by the both of these rudders, and they might be going in different directions. That's where the, the directing and really the most important part about directing and those things is, is listening and having empathy for the for what the artist is feeling. Now, the the interaction with the artist got me reminded me of um, the Passion Pit Little Secrets video that you directed because that was the second video that was directed for this and the first one a few months before the the the, the video that you did is. Uh, directed by Francesco Menahini, uh, is pretty much gone from the internet, and it's it's very. We we're just reading about it and seeing if I could see it anywhere, and it seems to be kind of vanished. So I'm really interested in the process when you, you know in the in that time between November 2009 and February 2010 when you uh, released the Little Secrets video, Passion Pit got you know very popular, and I th- and. and I'm always interested in that uh, that relationship where you're being approached as a director to you know make kind of a a video that is a, a second video in the in the process of a band kind of blowing up. Was did you have any of that experience with that with this video? Yeah, well, um, I can speak to that. That that time period um, around like we're saying middle of 2009. I was actually. It was a bit scattered because I was filming a lot in in Tokyo. We did a show in Tokyo for Diesel, and I was shooting a a big campaign for a PlayStation there. Hmm. So it was a little. I was a little bit back and forth. So I didn't actually understand that they actually had a video out before that. But what what it seemed to happen at that period of time was there would be different. There would be like these two tiers of how to get a video made. I think there was so much speculation and so much fear about spending money on a video that they wouldn't make a video. This was, these things were through major labels. So the major label wouldn't make a video for an indie band unless the song had already become popular to a certain degree. Hmm. So some of the songs that were coming through to treat on 
were actually were often songs that had already been out for six months or more. We did a similar one. Uh, we did one for Chairlift Bruises around around the same sort of time period, and that was a similar thing. The song came out. It was uh, by that point it had already been in an iPod commercial, which got really popular. And then they asked for, then the label asked for a video. Uh, so, you know, I think that was those things were a little unusual. Um, I'm not sure if that's how things work anymore, uh, but. That does happen where people, the band is kind of popular. And then it definitely happens with me with photography where the band is a little popular, but then they start to get more popular and then they come in and ask me to do some kind of new shoot for them or they want to up their visuals a bit or something. They want to make it feel a bit more complete, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, identity-wise. But I think that has to do more with the label having to have something that probably quality-wise can play more on MTV or things like that or wherever videos were being played at the time. Because often the initial videos, from what I understand, are more like fan videos or things that the band had done themselves that helped them get popular. And then they're kind of like reselling the song and the band, I guess, to a bigger population. I mean, those things aren't really ever discussed when you're working on it. So that that direction, that sort of direction doesn't come down to you in terms of like make sure this is something that could you know be in rotation on MTV no I mean I don't think if you wanted that I don't think you would come to me <laughs> to tell you the truth because it's, uh, very often there's like kind of disturbing or strange elements in the pieces we make yeah I don't um, think I don't know if the full retard could could play on MTV yeah I think of it maybe in the maybe on, me, on the, the, in the Wii U hours of the morning yeah, I think people uh, at that at that time, and then now again, often people are coming to me because they have some budget to get it done, but they still want to do something with some kind of bite to it. They don't necessarily want to go through a huge process of of um, pitching with different directors. And very often, these bands also might also be in or around the New York area, so I can meet with them, which is where I'm usually based. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we can meet and actually talk about what we're going to do. It was really important with any of this stuff, is being in the room with the people and um, really talking about what you're going to do, and definitely for things that involve the band or performance pieces. And I have never done a video where I just showed up and met the band on the day of the shoot. And, and when you when you when you get into those performance pieces, primarily, are you like and and when you're talking to the band about them, are you talking to them, you know, primarily about you know what what you want from them and what kind of performance you want out of them, or are you going to talk, you know, primarily about what you want kind of the look to be and and what you're going to try to create for them visually? Well, you know, every time is different. Every band is different. Every person is different. So I think it comes down to your your personal skills with anyone. You sit in the room with these creative people and you say, Hey, what's up? What are you guys thinking? And then you guys have a then you have a discussion and you just try and listen and keep an open mind about what they're saying. You try and find out definitely about what they liked about your work. Because I mean there's a million amazing directors, uh, more every day. So I try and find out what really they looked at in my work and really liked so I can kind of apply my the aesthetic elements that they like from my work, apply it to their own aesthetic and then come up with something that feels like it was a combination between the two of us. Uh, so it really, is, it's a conversation that you should, that you have from the beginning. Like you, for me, I always just start from the beginning with each band. Like I don't know anything about them. Try and say, what are they trying to do? But I haven't, I don't think I've ever had any band say that we're trying to become more popular. <laughs> Maybe it's the bands I work with and I'm really lucky, but you might, you know, they might say, the most they might say is we really want to have a performance element. Uh, or they might say um, what they don't want to have very often is probably more common. But it's, you know, it's very much an organic process. I wish there was, I wish I had a better answer for you. <laughs> but it's like every time is completely different. And every time you have to be ready to like listen to what they're saying and translate it back to them and hopefully find a common ground and then execute it. 
I wanted to talk a little bit about the, um, the I don't know if you'd call them trailers, but I'm thinking of the, the Depeche Mode Angel video, the LP <clears throat> Taser video, because these are, are things that are really unique. They're not technically music videos. Um, but, you know, what, when you're creating things, when you're creating something like the Depeche Mode Angel, which, you know, got a lot of attention for um, Depeche Mode, what is the conversation around that in terms of, uh, you know, where those fit into the whole uh, promotion of, the, of, an, of yeah. an album or a band? Okay. But the way, say, something like that has worked for me, well, say the LP pieces, LP is... Uh, we did three pieces like that. There was Taylor, Jerome, and uh, Ashkenaut one. Those were designed to have custom music to come out like before we did an actual full video because we had some ideas that we wanted to explore uh, and just be and just have things that were standalone pieces. I mean, mm-hmm. all of this stuff generally works with like album cycles and they're them actually needing content. The, the like content need is so ridiculous now because blogs need new things every day. So um, not that you're trying to, not that that is a discussion. It's more that you're trying to create anticipation. So you say, let's make something. That's the end of that discussion. Usually then you get into the creative. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you say, you know, you you get it. For me, you listen to the music and you get excited and you're like, oh, we should make something. But you have to slot it into a production cycle that is useful for all these other people. There's so many people involved as far as promotions and and distribution and all that, that you have to be respectful of their needs to help push these things out. Um, but say for Depeche Mode, something like that. What happens is they say, you know, we're going to be in the studio. Can you come by and film some stuff? That's generally how, how it starts. It doesn't necessarily have an actual piece that is going to exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you come in and you meet the band, say with them. I met the band and hung out, and I had already worked with Martin Gore on another piece, so it felt kind of familiar. Uh, and then you just see what's happening, and you look around, and I said, you know, this could be quite an interesting little little film of you guys in the studio, because you're actually not what I expected. They were fun and interesting, and right drawing penises on the wall, and <laughs> being like really quite funny and animated, and I thought that this would be a really great piece for you because I think people haven't seen you for a while. Um, and you're not these like dour, grumpy, you know, since pressing studio knobs, you're actually playing real instruments and you're having fun. And there's actually, they actually didn't use any computer in the studio. They only used it to sync up a few things, but everything is analog. So they're jumping around and plugging things in and doing all this stuff. And so, as we were filming, they, they said, uh, oh, we also have this track that we want to kind of cut it to. Maybe we're going to show it at a press conference, maybe not. And basically, we built this edit for it that Dane Williams built, who's a phenomenal editor, uh, who has edited a few of my pieces in the past. We spent something like two weeks editing this thing. It was really intense thinking, well, this is actually a lot better than we thought it was going to be because they were actually a lot more interesting. And then it comes, and they have the piece, and everyone's excited about it. So I think what happens often is you get in a situation where they don't know what it's going to be, and if they're trusting you to explore it, and then you have to decide whether you're going to make it into something that's really great or not. So we were like, okay, no one's giving us permission or paying us to sit here for two weeks trying to make this into something interesting, but we're going to do it, and we're going to give it back to you. And then now, of course, they think, of course, that's what they wanted. And it, I mean, that worked out great because it, it definitely, as, as we were talking about before for the interview, we got you got a, a retweet by Sasha Gray. So, <laughs> yeah, um, Sasha Gray, who I guess is like a modular synth lover. And now I'm working on another project with them. Well, all these things are like it's hard to say what. Like you, I don't. As I say, you should go into each situation with an open mind, mm-hmm. trying to explore what it's going to be, whether it's in the studio with the band or at a meeting or something like that because the energy that you create together is where you're going to get something new. And you should always, you can't wait around for people to tell you this is going to be a great thing. You should, you should really pay attention to this one. You have to try and make everyone, every piece 
as good as it's supposed to be. And for that reason, I think a lot of my work is pretty varied. You might have those little, say, trailers and then maybe a more long-form piece and then some of these, like, in-studio things uh, because each time I'm not going in necessarily with a preconceived idea. Well, as a database administrator, that's that's not good. But as a fan of music videos, it is definitely it's awesome. Um, and and def- and the the subject matter is definitely varied because you have these uh, you know the the really visual pieces like uh, "Cut Me Out" and then the the ones like the full retard, which are definitely visual but have that you know are really uh, really funny videos. Um, yeah, well, I find that you have to. You can't have everything often, especially with these budgets. And something like, if you're deciding this video is going to be a funny video, like, this is going to be really funny, you have to let go of all of your own aesthetics Mm. as far as, like, what you think quality work is supposed to look like, I think, until until you get through the process. Because no matter... If you made the full retard video and we shot with... I mean, it was shot... It was shot intentionally to look kind of raw and bad green screen and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we had an amazing crew on it trying to make it look bad <laughs> for, for a lot of it. But if you, if we decided, okay, we shot that for five days or something, if we decided we're only going to shoot one day, but we're going to have lots of dolly moves and we're going to have the car on hydraulics and we're going to do all of these other elements, it would be really nice looking, but it would be boring as fuck. <laughs> Excuse my language. To, no, so we, you have to decide when you're going into a project what it wh- what the core is you're trying to get out of it, and you have to let go of a lot of things to get there. Don't worry, we, we uh, have our we we uh, embrace our explicit tag, so feel oh, free. Um, okay, yeah, that's that's what I was going to say just, too. Okay, I'll curse more then. <laughs> yeah, uh, let it rip. Let you, it rip. Does that make sense? And I think that a lot of that comes from my photography background I would say actually is and I, and I shoot I still shoot probably 10 photo projects for every video because you're in a room and you're dealing with people and you're dealing with the realities of their personalities and you're not in a world of, of perfect concepts that you can spend weeks working on treatments for and motion graphic tests and things like that and then shooting it on green screen and having it perfect and you're not in that world you're in a world of dynamics and personalities and emotions. And I think from being in that world, most of the time I'm comfortable walking into a video circumstance and exploring it for its possibilities rather than coming in with an exact idea that I have that has to be executed in a certain way. Otherwise it's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And, about, and about that being like a dynamic uh, quality about, you know, the videos, I, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but is that you at the beginning of the Yay Sayer Longevity video that you make? Do you make an appearance in that video as well? Maybe. Does that <laughs> does that does that come? Does that cut? Is that something that came through that kind of process of you know kind of? Yeah. Well, that came dynamic? through. The, yeah, that came through the process of the guy who was supposed to doing it, then all of a sudden saying, "I don't feel like it," <laughs> <laughs> and me having to do it. And I actually had a much funnier, longer rant uh, for that piece, which. Uh, which got, which was cut out by the by the management. But yeah, that's like okay, it has to be done. I'm going to go stand in front of the camera. I thought you were going to say got cut by the director. <laughs> no, no, I wanted to keep it in. It was really funny, but it was very, uh, it was very explicit. I would say, uh, and and funny. So yeah, that's. That. I mean, I have a vi- I have an idea about what the stories I want to tell, and when I do my personal work or more fine art type things uh, or even the fashion pieces. It's more in that world, I would say, which is more archetypical and dealing with more issues of magic and symbolism and things of, of that world. And I have that language and, uh, and it does come out in these projects. Um, but each project is very, to me, each project is there to, for you to push something, whether it's you learning something or, you exploring something you haven't or you just expressing this interesting thing that the band is trying to express that maybe has nothing to do with you. Uh, and I think from doing that, you probably grow as a, as an artist because it's not just about you chasing your one idea the whole time in every video or every project you do. 
And when you work in music, a lot of these people are, you know, they have a very different point of view than you. So, they, and they have a very specific point of view. So it's, you have to be open-minded to what their point of view might be. What do you mean by that in terms of the, the, the difference in point of views? Is just just from the world that they're in? Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. And their sphere of influence, especially when <clears throat> working with younger and younger bands. And there are, these bands seem to get younger all the time because the barrier to entry to create music has changed. So they don't, they can make things and be very, very young. Their aesthetic is going to be very, very different than my aesthetic. And I have to listen to what their aesthetic is and understand it and try and execute it. And that's, that's very exciting. You can see, oh, this is why these, you know, that's why these crappy graphics are so interesting to you. Hmm. What do you call it? The C, C graphics? The the, Banks, and Rihanna. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't personally think of, of doing that you know, based on my background. So mm -hmm. if you're working with someone and they're like, this is interesting, you know, it keeps you, it definitely keeps you uh, open-minded about things. that you were promoting alcohol use at the beginning of this interview, Adam. Why is that? Is somebody in AA or something? Did I offend somebody? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure somebody's in AA, but uh, I don't think you offended anyone. I just, I, I listen to the podcast with milk, but that's just me. We used to be, I'm giving away our secrets here, we used to, we used to be a little more, let's shall we say, lubricated yeah, um, when we were true. doing interviews because of the fact that we were almost always doing them really late at night. Right. We seem to be interviewing or have more people in our pool of interviewees that are either in New York or in uh, the UK, which means we're doing them at like noon and, and, and three o'clock instead of like nine at night. Right, which is means that we're not completely drunk yet. We're like halfway there. <laughs> we're like we're two drinks there. in at that point. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but the I haven't taken our five o'clock shots yet. Uh, you know, there's one thing you can't you can't do when you're drinking is code. I found <laughs> that out the hard way. You don't want to do that. Um, although you can write some good stuff, it's almost always terrible in the morning. Broken. You think it's great at the time, but it's right. always broken. Exactly. Yeah. And things things never break on IMVDB. No, 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 no. Our our motto is no spelling mistakes and no, nothing breaks. It's a rhyming, uh, rhyming lie. Um, mm. uh, you know what isn't a rhyming lie though? Picks of the week. Do you have one? Of course, I have one. I've got one too. Mine's really good. Is yours really good? Yeah, yeah it's not bad. It's a good pick. Is All it right. your, is yours the hot chip video? Mine is the hot chip video. You, mm, you gotta do, yeah, do that one because we got we have to talk about that one. Okay. Um, oh, I, I sense a little. Uh, well, let's not see. Uh, my pick of the week. <laughs> That's a is, little what? <laughs> I don't know. Some hostility. I don't know. No, my, what hostility? No. I don't even know what I sense. I guess my sensing is off. Um, my pick of the week is by a band named Hot Chip. Um, and the song is called Don't Deny Your Heart. And it's directed by Peter Serafinowicz, who you may know from lots of funny things that he does um, in front of the camera and behind. He had a show called Look Around You um, that was funny and continues to be funny if you watch it. Uh, and Peter Serafinowicz, funny guy. He also directs music videos and uh, oftentimes for Hot Chip, and they're often very good. This one is no different. Um, the concept is... The band is on a tour bus playing a soccer video game. It's called football in the video because they're from other places than us and they call sports by different names than we do. Um, it's a soccer video game similar to like FIFA, if anyone is familiar, any gamers out there. Um, hey. Uh, so the game, the soccer, it starts out like it's similar to any other soccer video game. And there seems to be some animosity between two individual specific players on opposing teams and they're like they're scoring a goals and they're like making direct eye contact with each other and throughout the whole thing there's um you know very funny uh kind of voiceovers between two commentators and then 
um, you know, without giving too much away, things just start really uh, getting really nuts. Um, this this kind of back and forth between these two individual players just kind of increases to astronomic and amazing levels um, to the point of hilarity and awesomeness. So uh, I, I, I recommend checking out this video, Hot Chip, Don't Deny Your Heart, directed by Peter Serafinowicz, Doug Klinger, Pick of the Week. Now, what, what did you have to say about it, Adam? I just like soccer. <laughs> uh, that's a good thing to have said and to like. Um, that's it? That's all you got? That's all I got. I think it's a fantastic music video, and I love I love the video game look. Um, yeah, uh, Brian Schlamm described it as PlayStation One style, which is an upgrade. <laughs> an upgrade from what, what you were used to in video in music videos. What style of video game? What level? It's like Atari normally, so this is a step up. But yeah, it's really funny, and um, yeah, and there's a lot of subtleties too, like the, the team names and stuff, and the sponsorships. Uh, like one of the teams is sponsored by Nasal Airways, <laughs> and uh, it's just really, it's just really funny. There's a lot of subtleties that you got to look for, but um, uh, and like the, the the last names of all the players are really ridiculous too, like Daddy and and, and stuff. So look for those too. But the, the the things that aren't so subtle are also um, awesome in this video as well. What well, you got? Um, so my pick of the week is came out on the twenty first, so about a week, six days ago, um, last week, and that is "No Worries" by Lil Wayne, featuring Detail. I have not heard of Mr. Detail before, but he is in this video, and it is directed by Colin Tilly. Um, and I've been a little disappointed with Lil Wayne's music video output lately, just because he just it just seems I don't know. There's just you ever get that feeling from somebody where they're just not. They're not all there. Not, so you're not, not you're, so you're not you're not blaming the director. You're saying that Lil Wayne seems to not be have his yeah. He just he just he just he seems like he just like showed up because Lil Wayne has some f- really fantastic music videos. I'm t- I'm talking about like um, and this is around like the 2008 era. Um, uh, How to Love is one of the most music videos I've ever seen in my life. But he has some other good ones like Lollipop is really good, as well as. Six Foot, Seven Foot is also by Hype Williams. Another, like, pretty classic music video, in my opinion. Um, but it just, I don't know, it just seems like he would, sh- he would show up, but he just wasn't that into it. I don't know, and it's nothing specific. And it's definitely not, never, I don't think a director's fault. But I just, but I, whenever I see, um, see like, Lil Wayne music video, I think, oh, I'm going to watch it because I still enjoy the work of Lil Wayne, but uh, um, wasn't speaking to me. But uh, this last one by Colin Tilly, who also directed John, uh, with uh, Rick Ross and Lil Wayne, as you might recall, is the music video with the um, with the uh, wheelchair. Yeah, um, cla- classic GIF music video. Exactly, a very classic. It might be one of the most classic GIF music videos. Um, this one is uh, basically like a kind of a play on Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, uh, the movie um, uh, with Johnny Depp. Written by Hunter S. Thompson, and uh, I really like it because Lil Wayne is definitely like performing the crap out of whatever he's doing in this music video. He's bouncing all over the walls. He seems to really kind of enjoy um, whatever it is he interprets this role to be as the uh, one of the characters in this music video. And uh, it's not so much a, a narrative video, uh, but they are in Las Vegas. They are in the kind of the he does have the, you know, the iconic hat on from Fear Loathing in Las Vegas. They do have the car. Um, they're bouncing around. There is the um, the requisite, uh, uh, you know, ladies, pretty ladies, in the in the in the music video. But it, it, it I don't know. There's something about it that, that I was glad to see it because I I enjoyed Lil Wayne's performance in this one. Um, also, um, Mr. Colin Tilly is a, is a big fan of uh, some interesting camera wavy effects which I, I i i like seeing because you don't really see that a lot and i'm glad he just kind of goes goes whole hog with this so um it's a, a video of Lil wayne definitely enjoying himself and colin tilly looks like he's really enjoying himself and it makes for a really entertaining music video so that's no worries Lil wayne featuring detail um, I, I think that 
it, that they might not, Lil Wayne might not realize that that's a remake of anything. They just gave him a funny hat and a and a and a uh, cigarette, which is also iconic from the film. The cigarette with the little yeah, oh, yeah. Ex- extender thing on it, and uh, and then just said, "Act like yourself," because <laughs> he's probably on on the same drugs as that are up there on in that movie anyway. Oh, so it's just like, hey, just just walk around and wear this funny hat and the and this and smoke this. Well, that's all the time we got. If you are. Um at all so inclined to like music videos which if you made it this far in the podcast you probably are um go to imvdb.com and uh you can right now actually start adding albums it's in a beta version so it you know there are little clips here and there but um go ahead and uh you know click the add info make an account if you don't have one already and uh, under the song uh listing for data you can add add a release or album and uh it will search the discogs database to see if there are any matching albums so uh give that a shot and um you can also add all sorts of information plus your own videos and you can also take over your profiles a lot of cool stuff coming up um and a lot of cool stuff you can do right now to get on board uh for the coming awesomeness so do that also follow us on the tweet tweet machine the twitter machine the facebook uh, machine as well and uh, anywhere else you can think of any other machines follow us on the lawnmower videos if there's nudity in them.